Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Western New York Brews. My name is Scott. I'm a home brewer just outside of Buffalo, New York. And this week we have the honor, the privilege of talking to John Palmer, homebrewing author, expert, podcast host, and we go through all the things that he's done. Uh, Clay and I got to sit down at 42 North and Skype in Mr. Palmer to talk about the Buffalo water, the water that we have here. It's quality, the best beers for our Buffalo water and how to adjust our water for various beer styles. John was was extremely nice to take some time out to talk to us. There is a little bit of a glitch in the audio, just Skype being at the brewery and the internet over the Wi-Fi not being fast enough. So the audio gets a little glitchy at times, but everything comes through. There's some really great information. Just before we get into the interview here i want to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by fast brewing the makers of the fast rack bottle racks the fast ferment uh, plastic conical fermenter and the fast label sleeves for your homebrew or wine products everything that they do makes your brew day faster cleaner cheaper easier so go to fastbrewing.com and check them out also, I would like to remind you that we are at WNYBrews.com. That's W-N-Y-B-R-E-W-S.com. Episode 22 is this episode for all the notes and links from here. John mentions a spreadsheet, and he was willing to share that. You can also find that spreadsheet at HowToBrew.com, but we have the Buffalo numbers already put into that. You'll find that at WNYBrews.com forward slash episode 22. I also would like to... Thank you for listening and ask you to check out iTunes, rate and review us if you would. And please go to drinkthisbuffalo.com. All it is is a website where you can email in or call in your favorite drinks you think that no one else around here has heard about yet or just something that's not getting its due call us let us know so that we can play it here on West New York Brews. People can hear about it. So once again, Here's our interview. We'll get right into it with John Palmer. It's myself and Clay at 42 North. Here you go. And we are here with John Palmer, brewing expert, brewing author, podcaster from uh, Brew Strong with Jamil Zanishev, and the authority on water, having written How to Brew, the man behind howtobrew.com, and the brewer's publication book on water. So, did you guys want pepperoni with that pizza, or just mushrooms and onions? Eh? <laughs> and brewing classic yeah, styles. How you Don't doing? forget that one. And brewing classic styles. Yeah. So we were hoping to get John on today to talk about the water here in Buffalo, and specifically East Aurora, because that's where we are at Forty Two North right now. So, Clay, you have a little bit of a background on the on the water here. Yeah. No, a little bit. I mean, the first thing I so did you, before I took the job is I got a water test done of the area just to kind of get to know it. Got your feet wet, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's the first <laughs> thing I did, and I, I still do it quarterly. Get a full water test and, and analyze it, and uh, taste the water every day we brew, and it's the most important ingredient. So, it's uh, it's a big deal. Cool. Yeah. So, John, you you took a look at our water report here. How would you describe the water here? Well, it's really pretty typical, uh, most of the United States. Um, what you've got is um, roughly one milliequivalent per liter of calcium and magnesium. That is balanced by roughly two, two milliequivalents per liter of alkalinity. So, you can, so there's 
there's usually a one-to-one kind of correlation between water hardness and water alkalinity, and that's what we're seeing in this report. In this case, you've got 37 calcium, uh, 10 magnesium. The equivalent weight for, mag- for calcium is 40. Uh, the equivalent weight for magnesium is 12. So, you know, you're right there about one equivalent per liter in terms of concentration. And then the equivalent weight for um, alkalinity is 50, and you have, I think it's roughly 102. If I'm, dun, 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 yes, 102. So you're right there at two equivalents. Um, and that, and like I said, that's really typical across the country. In terms of what you want for brewing, um, this is what, what you want for brewing actually is more like two equivalents of calcium. Uh, magnesium, we're not, we don't care too much about. One equivalent is fine. So it'd be nice, in other words, to have about 100 ppm of calcium and uh, you know, 10, 10 magnesium is fine. Um, alkalinity, it'd be nice if there's only one equivalent of alkalinity or less, uh, depending on the kind of styles of beer you want to brew. Just so I send people to the right place, the place to figure that out. I mean, you can go through howtobrew.com, which has a good primer on how to do this. Right. Or in, in the book. And, of course, I've been listening to all the Brew Strong podcasts on water. There's a three-part uh, series back, I think, in 2009, which the is probably... The Water Ganza series. The Water Ganza, that's right. A good place to send people. So if, if you're not already listening to Brew Strong, you should and check out the three-part series back in 2009. Yeah, and we're referencing the Ward Labs report. I don't know if we mentioned that. WardLabs.com. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, WardLab.com. It's just cheap. Even for homebrewers, I think it's 35 40 bucks. Um, I'm sure there's other people out there, but I like them. Right. You can also buy um, water test kits for about $100, $110 um, that'll, that use uh, do- dropper titrations to determine your water chemistry. And those test kits are good for 50-plus tests. So even though the initial price tag is like 100-plus bucks, um, it works out to about $2 a test. So um, that's another way of doing it. And here in California, with the drought situation, our cities are pulling from different water sources throughout the year. And so, you know, you'll be brewing along and your water is, say, great for pale ales. And all of a sudden, the city will change the water source, and now it's more appropriate for dark ales. But, you know, unless you test, you don't know that. And, you know, your beer doesn't come out, you know, right. So uh, water testing is the place to start. And I guess maybe it would be good to back up and talk about a little bit about why water is important to beer. You know, put it in some context. You know, you you always hear about uh, you know, pure Rocky Mountain spring water or, you know, it's the water that makes the beer and so on. And that's true, but for the wrong reasons. The water, the flavor of the water um, is is important for the beer. You can't make good beer with bad water, with bad tasting water. But just because the water tastes good does not tell you what uh, how the how the chemistry of that water is going to affect your mash and that is the real important part um so basically you've got surface water sources such as um you know snow melt lakes rivers streams etc and all these water sources tend to be low in minerals uh they can be high in organics such as you know dead frogs and leaves and stuff um or they can, or you can have groundwater sources, you know, from aquifers coming up from springs and wells and such. And those water sources are usually very clean, 
um, but very, may be high in minerals. And so in a lot of the northern uh, United States, well, and southern too, you have, you, typically you're pulling from a groundwater source that's high in minerals. Um, it could be anything from, say, limestone, which gives you the high alkalinity, or it could be coming uh, from like a brine and iron source, such as in Michigan, um, which makes the, the water taste very mineral-like, um, as well as lots of other areas and different flavors. So understanding where your water comes from and then getting that water tested to understand the the ion profile is really your first step because it's those ions that go on to determine the the pH and flavor of the beer that you brew from it. Yeah, here I, I, I th- Buffalo has a long history of, of breweries, uh, a ton of breweries, you know, 100 years ago as well as malting and hop growing and et cetera, et cetera, but we are, I think, blessed by having the Great Lakes right here, and all of our lake, all yeah. of our water comes from Lake Erie, constantly, consistently. And there's some seasonal changes. I've seen pHs jump from eight to nine uh, throughout the seasons, mm-hmm. uh, and they'll switch, yeah. you know, different chlorine, chloramine mixtures throughout the year depending on the season. But um, but it's really good water. Uh, we're we're blessed to have yeah. the, the Great Lakes right here and they're be able to pull from them. They're generally pulling from where the the Great where Lake Erie meets uh, the Niagara River. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's Niagara Falls or water. Exactly. Before it hits Niagara Falls. Yeah. But that brings up a good question about how often should you be testing water? Well, um, at least seasonally. Depends on the climate where you live. Um, you know, depending on the f- when it freezes, when it thaws, you know, the water um, municipality may change the source, you know, uh, to pull from different areas. In the summer, you know, they may start pulling, they may be pulling from a lake, but, um, you know, then they'll have an algae bloom and then they'll need to dump in a ton of chlorine to kill all the algae. Um, so you'll taste that. One thing that's important to understand is that the water pH doesn't make much difference at all. Okay. Because the water, yeah, the water pH is simply telling you really the balance of hardness to alkalinity in the water. Um, and it, you know, pH is more than that. It's the activity and concentration of hydrogen ions. But in terms of water chemistry, the pH of the water is, is mainly dictated by that balance. So in the case of um, Lake Erie water here, um, your pH is 7.4, pretty low, pretty, you know, pretty close to neutral. Um, you've got two equivalents of hardness to two equivalents of, of um, alkalinity. So therefore, it's pretty balanced. Now, what, what is important about water is to understand one, the six ions, calcium, magnesium, uh, total alkalinity, which is um, generally bicarbonate, HCO3. Um, then you have sodium chloride sulfate. Sodium chloride sulfate are your flavor ions. They're kind of like the seasoning you put in your beer, like when you salt your food. Um, that's what sodium chloride and sulfate do for the beer. It's the calcium, magnesium, and bicarbonate or alkalinity that um, affect the pH of the wort and therefore the, the pH of the beer. And it's the pH of the beer that um, dictates how the beer's flavors are expressed to your palate. So with, no the, with the mash pH, you're saying um, with Father's Day coming up, that's what I should be talking to my wife about. 
is a pH (laughs) meter. (laughs) pH meter, definitely. Yeah. The pH test strips really don't work very well. But could you elaborate a little bit on the beer pH um, and and how that affects flavor? And I know it's different for each beer style. Uh, You may want to go a different direction depending on the style. Yeah. Well, if you think about foods, um, and I like to use my spaghetti sauce example, you've got spaghetti sauce. You go to the grocery store, you buy a jar of ragu or something, you know. Uh, it's a sweet, rich, you know, rich spaghetti sauce, but it's not very exciting. You know, the pH is a little is a little high. It's you know, it's not very acidic. Um, the kids love it. Whereas if you go looking to you know a fine Italian restaurant, you know, paleo, organic, whatever, you know, you're looking for a little more interesting spaghetti sauce, something a little more acidity to it, a little brighter. Uh, you know, you may come across a spaghetti sauce where the tomatoes were fresh picked that morning in the, you know, in the light of the moon and gently squeezed by nuns. And then you have a tomato sauce that's exceedingly acidic and bright. And that's about all you taste is tomato bright. You don't have much richness or complexity. And that's what pH does is it it controls how the food's flavors are expressed to your palate. So in the case of a a more acidic spaghetti sauce, for example, all you taste is kind of this bright note. You don't get much complexity. It's kind of one-dimensional. Whereas if you raise the pH, now you have a sense of richness and that coats your tongue, but there's not, but um, you know, there's not a lot of brightness to it or life to it. Um, what you want is something in between where you have a a combination of uh, brightness and richness, and that's complexity. So uh, same with your beer. If the p- beer pH falls below, uh, like it. F- to four or below four, then that beer tends to taste kind of one-dimensional. And this is most obvious in a lot of microbrewed stouts uh, and porters where all you really taste is a singular roast note. Um, you know, not a bad beer and it doesn't taste astringent, it doesn't taste harsh and so on. It's just kind of one-dimensional. If you, on the other hand, if you drink a pale ale, one that is very bitter, that bitterness just coats your tongue, lingers after that sip, you know, for a couple of sips after, um, that means that the pH has gone high. In the case of a pale beer, you're not getting much of a malt character. All you're really tasting is the, the hop bitterness. And so uh, in both cases, and that's when the pH of the beer is like 4.5, 4.6 up in that region. So what you really want is something that's more between 4 and 4.4 typically. Um, and not to say that 4.2 is the right number. The right number depends on style. In the case of a stout, uh, very often because of the acidity of the specialty malts, the dark roast malts and such, uh, the beer pH goes too low towards four. And while it doesn't taste bad, it becomes kind of one-dimensional. So what you want to do as a brewer is manipulate your, your mash pH by manipulating your water chemistry to bring that pH up to say 4.3, 4.4. And that tends to open up the malt flavor. Um, and, you, and you can taste your, your different specialty malts uh, that went into that beer, you know, a note of caramel, a note of roast, a note of chocolate, rather than just a singular 
roast, like coffee-like character. So I've gone on, you know, I've gone on way too long on that topic. No, but no, that was great. That, that's how that's how pH affects your beer flavor, and that's the importance of it in in the mash because that's where it ends up uh, down the road in the finished yes. beer. Um, how about in the mash? What what are some of the uh, options to you know as a home brewer level? To mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to manipulate that mash pH and get it get it where you want it to be. Well, the mash pH is very important, and that's uh, that is you know, really that sets the stage for the entire brewing process because that mash pH will trickle down to your wort pH, which will trickle down to your beer pH. What you're generally looking for in terms of your water chemistry going into the mash is you want sufficient hardness that is calcium and magnesium, to uh, help the the mash pH be in the range of 5.2 to 5.6. Pale beers generally you want generally you want closer to 5.2. Uh, darker beers generally you want closer to 5.4, 5.6 up in that in that region. And then uh, the other thing with adjusting water chemistry for the mash is to Either neutralize the pH, sorry, spoke, neutralize the alkalinity that's in the water, say with an acid addition or the addition of acidulated malt to the grain bill, or by adding uh, hardness, calcium, to the water to offset the alkalinity and help bring that pH down. And if you look at, for instance, uh, your uh, buffalo water here, we have... You know, 37 calcium, uh, 37 ppm, 10 ppm magnesium, 102 total alkalinity, and then uh, small amounts of the flavor ions, sulfate at 8, chloride at 21, sodium at 13. Those are all essentially just low. Um, You need about 50 ppm out of either sulfate or chloride to really start affecting the flavor of the beer. And it's a, it's a very subtle thing. It's a seasoning aspect. It's not something that really you know, drives. You don't taste the ion itself. It just affects the way you perceive the beer's flavors. Um, that was a tangent. Now, where am I going with this? <laughs> Mash uh, Okay. Yeah. So you've got, you know, in terms of um, brewing a pale ale, you don't have sufficient calcium. Generally, you want for any beer style, you want a minimum of 50 ppm calcium, and you only have 37. So you would want to raise your calcium to at least 50 ppm. And in the case of you know a bright beer um, like a pale ale or a law, you know a lager, Hellas, Kolsch, whatever, you know you probably want something closer to say 75 or 100 ppm, depending on style. Uh, on how on how assertive and you know and um, firm brisk whatever you want that malt character the so the calcium is going to uh, firm up and uh, you know make that malt character a little more assertive to raise the calcium here mm-hmm. when when yes. I was putting it into the calculator there's a there's a bunch of different ways to raise your calcium right generally there's two uh, calcium sulfate um, or calcium chloride. Well, there's, a, there's also calcium hydroxide, calcium carbonate, but the two main ones are calcium chloride and calcium sulfate, yeah. Okay. Now, since we're low on sulfate, too, is that something where calcium sulfate would be preferable? To- it, depending on beer style, yeah. So let's say we're brewing an American pale ale. 
Uh-huh. You know, where you want you want a nice punchy hop character. You want a dry finish, you know, for a pale ale, like a Burton pale ale. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, you would definitely you would use calcium sulfate, preferably to bring up both the calcium and the sulfate. Sulfate is very good at making the hop character more um, assertive, more aggressive, but also it fades very quickly um, with high sulfate. So you get this, you get a bitter, you know, punch in the face and then it fades quickly and, you know, you're, you're, it doesn't linger on the palate and you're ready for another sip. Um, and makes, it makes the beer uh, more thirst quenching with a, with a moderate sulfate level. Anywhere from 100 to uh, 300, 400 ppm of sulfate um, is good. And I would say um, for most American pale ales, anything between 100 and 300 is probably a good range. It's going to depend, the exact amount is going to depend on your taste. If you start going over 300, you know, 400, 500, um, if you're really a hop head, then you may like, may like it that dry and so on. But uh, sometimes that gets too dry. So we're, yeah. we're at eight. <laughs> so yeah. you're, yes. you're you're effectively at zero. Yeah. I mean, it's just talking about. Well, I can tell you, I, I on our you know just from from brewing IPA here, we do a uh, West Coast style, very dry. Um, you know, there's pilsner in it. It's uh, very tropical fruit. We really want those tropical. We spend a lot of money on those tropical fruit hops, and we want them to take the center stage. So, I put a lot of gypsum in there. Um, oh. Probably close to a pound uh, for a 20 barrel batch and you know I do, I do a smidge in the kettle as well just to make sure that that sulfate you know gets in there and, and raises up and um, yeah. I, I guess to stay on this topic uh, I, I you know can you speak a little bit on is it the ratio that's important sulfate to chloride and you're probably we're going to get there uh, in the discussion right no, uh, if you switched good, over to dark to beers sure yeah no uh, so you know Sulfate and chloride are, are that ratio is kind of um, your seasoning ratio, you're, and it helps describe what kind of beer you're trying to brew. So if you're brewing a you know hoppy pale ale, yeah, you want that sulfate to chloride ratio to be high, you know, four to one, five to one, eight to one, if you will. If you're brewing a malty style, such as a Vienna Lager, Oktoberfest, um, Bach, Double Bach. Stout, you know, um, where you 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 want more of the malt character to take the stage and be the dominant flavor, um, then you would could have you would have it the other way, kind of a, a one to two ratio, you know, um, twice as much chloride to sulfate, um, but you don't want to go too big, uh, too you know too high a ratio like five to one chloride to sulfate. Because that tends to start tasting salty and a little bit cloying. And you do need some dryness in the beer. Otherwise, it gets too sweet. You know, like it, almost like it's under-attenuated. So um, the ratio, the ratio is, is just a kind of a benchmark, just a little line in the sand to help you, under, to help you understand, you know, uh, where on the balance you are. Uh, what's more important, of course, is the actual numbers themselves. Uh, 
So uh, for American Pale Ale, um, I'd recommend, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 to 400 sulfate, um, 0 to 100 chloride. Um, anything in there is fine. Um, and looking at uh, the, your water report, and if I was just going to whip up a, 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 a salt recipe uh, with this water, um, for 10 gallons, I would add 15 grams of gypsum. And uh, that would give you a calcium of about 92 um, sulfate of 220 and a residual alkalinity of about 13, which is close to zero, which is, you know, kind of a, uh, amber colored beer kind of, uh, range. Man, all, so. the, all the all the next beers at the Amber Ways of Grain Home, yeah, right. all the pale ales are going to be incredible now because you <laughs> just gave us the exact uh, the exact water profile. Right, for exactly. The pale ales. <laughs> we have a huge huge homebrew competition here. That's been uh, some amazing people have been running it for for I don't know fifteen years. Yeah, if, oh. uh, if, uh, if I judged if there more. this year, it was uh, they get eight hundred entries uh, uh-huh. and just some amazing beers. I mean, it was hard to to distinguish. Just so many good beers i seem to get huge beer styles i think i had imperial stouts one day and the next day i had triples uh, belgian strongs and uh yeah. yeah but uh but yeah just some great beers no honey it's work it's yeah, work right. <laughs> yes. yeah. oh it's exhausting judging beer is hard work it really is tiring oh it is yeah yeah i do, I do gabf and, and uh, national homebrew competition each year and yeah so you get you get up on a panel of big beers, you know, third round of the day, and it's like, oh, my palate's dead. I can't drink any more beer. <laughs> yeah, I, and you know, I really take it serious, and I, you know, I want to write a ton, and my my wrist hurts at the end for sure. Yeah. So, is there any anything about our water profile that that says, you know, what for this style, you should scrap it and just go distilled and build it from scratch? Well, um, yeah, for. <laughs> For for your Hellas and your Pilsners, um, it, uh, you would have to add um, about, well, you know, like I say, you have about two equivalents of alkalinity. If you had three equivalents, three equivalents of alkalinity, that's 150 ppm as, as calcium carbonate. Um, three equivalents means that you would have to add like three equivalents of, say, phosphoric or lactic acid. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to neutralize that alkalinity to help you get that mash pH down to that 5-2 mark. Um, if you add three equivalents of lactic acid, um, you're approaching the flavor threshold for lactic lactate ion, and so in other words, you would the the water would start tasting sour, uh-huh. and the beer you know might taste a little bit sour um, because of that lactate ion. You know, just like you know, and that's what what's in yogurt and stuff. So you get some of that lactate flavor. Um, I've I've worked with breweries in you know Wisconsin and many in Minnesota, North Dakota, where they have high alkalinity. You know, three hundred and fifty ppm of alkalinity, wow. and that's you know that's like five six equivalents. Um, and yeah, they it's the only the only thing I could tell them was to uh, get an RO system, and strip it all out. Need a filter at you that know. point. Yeah, it's a system uh, water system. 
Yeah, because some breweries you know, have it here. You know, some breweries have a written. There's a Gordon Beers here locally does really great lagers, but they have a, a full ion exchange filter system. Um, yeah, I uh, I actually do pre boiling. We do a Bohemian Pills. Um, okay. you know, it's one of our regular beers. So I'll boil the night before. I can actually boil in my hot liquor tank, which is nice. Um, so uh-huh. I boil it over, leave it the night before, and then I drain the bottom off of it um, yeah. before I use it. Uh, you know, am I, I haven't actually done a water test on that. Do you think I'm, I'm making a difference, or is it all in my head? <laughs> no, you're, you're making a difference um, okay. a little bit. Uh, you're going to get uh, – you're going to go from uh, a calcium near 40 to a calcium near 20. Okay. Um, and you're going to drop your alkalinity from about 100 down to about 60. Um, you know, that's, it's a good step in the right direction. Um, I would say that acid addition would be more effective for you than, um, than the energy you're using to pre-boil. So, but how do um, I prevent yeah. to get that acid flavor that you're, you're talking about? Well, you know, I guess you're, like I say, you're at, Two equivalents at 100 ppm. That's not too bad. Okay. You won't you won't taste that. Okay. It would be three and four. You know, 150 to 200 ppm is calcium carbonate versus 100. That's where you start tasting uh, the acid. Gotcha. And you also have. You're also going to be adding calcium. You know, just as to bring it up over 50. Sure. And that will decrease the the. Uh, amount of acid that you actually need to use. So um, you could get away with like one equivalent of acid, adding more calcium, and you would get your residual alkalinity uh, and beer and mash pH in the region where you want it for a pilsner. Um, your your water is is pretty is pretty good, really. For well, there there goes my entire pre boil um, marketing campaign. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it worked for some other breweries to say where they got their water. I was like, yeah, I, I've already yeah. spent a million dollars marketing that. I, I guess I lost that one. It's a sunk cost. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, uh, we we've changed we've changed improved our brewing practice. Yeah, just it has to be the right spin. Um, the, your, your water as is, is, uh, good for, um, like Vienna lager or brown ale. Um, you've got, yeah, you still, you want to bring up the calcium a little bit. So to brew like a, a brown ale or a Vienna lager or an Oktoberfest, you would want to add, you know, uh, calcium chloride as opposed to, to gypsum, um, to bring up the calcium, boost the chloride a little bit. And, uh, you know, make that a maltier, softer tasting beer uh, than you would say if you'd add a gypsum to it. Uh, but really not much, not much. You wouldn't need to do any acid additions um, because the water as is, is good for that. John, thank you. Can I can I give you one last question? Unless Clay has oh, yeah, one, sure. one, one more. I, I ask this to everybody in my homebrew club because most of the guys are science teachers. Uh, uh-huh. And I'm a music teacher, so I, I count myself firmly in the art department. Brewing, science versus art. <laughs> ah. When I ask the science guys, I get 80-20 science. And when I ask the art guys, uh, half of us are, are art and phys ed. And I'm count- excuse me, phys ed people, but I'm counting phys ed people <laughs> in art right now. Sure. Um, <laughs> so it's half science people, half phys ed, and, and me and my dad are both music. Uh, and we'll go more towards the art, like, oh, no, no, you go from the flavor and you work it out from there. And, and uh, where would you count yourself? 
Um, I would say, yeah, predominantly science. Um, yeah, I'm an I'm an I'm a metallurgical engineer by training. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, and all, on the other hand, you know, with all these spreadsheets and all these numbers, uh, when it comes to my actual brew day, yeah, just a couple spoonfuls and go and, you know, I don't really measure anything, but on the other hand, that's, <laughs> oh, that you know, makes it's me the, feel it's really the, good though. Yeah. Picture just this, the art side that. taken over. <laughs> I know, I know what ballpark I'm supposed to be in, you know, for a style I'm brewing and, uh. You know, I just have the experience to know about what I'm adding, uh, and uh, so I don't get too wrapped around the axle on it. But you know, in terms of trying to teach other people, um, you know, you you've got to put your best foot forward and give them the best practices and give them yeah. the boundaries and the guidelines. You know, to make sure so they understand the ballpark that they're operating in. Well, John, I, I, as a brewer, I have to say thank you for uh, for how to brew. I mean, it's such a such a great book, and you know, taught me how yeah. to brew, and then now I use it, you know, as a reference I have for the last four or five years, um, oh, consistently. Thanks. So, thanks so much. Do you, do you have any other any projects going on? Anything anything coming uh, that you want to let people know? Well, about? Well, I'm working on a revision to it right now. Oh, great, great. Yeah, I, yeah. Think I, I guess I'll have to buy a new edition. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be better. I mean, I'm. I'm incorporating, um, you know, more from that I learned about doing the water book. And so I'll be adding, I'm adding that to uh, the water chapter and how to brew. Um, learned a lot. I've, you know, learned a lot over the last 10 years, um, you know, in terms of fermentation science and yeast behavior and better recipes and so on. Uh, so all that, all that gets rolled in as well. Uh, it's going to be a better book. And one of my uh, one of my assistant brewers wanted me to ask you when uh, when you come up with an off flavor or, or something you can't you know determine uh, where do you go to look for <laughs> the answer to that uh, something you can't uh, figure out. Yeah, I'll I'll often turn to Jamil. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, get his opinion. But uh, there's a lot of you know, and for that matter, there's a lot of other beer judges that I'll talk to as well. I mean. Um, I consider myself, uh, you know, going back to that science versus art question, I consider myself, I guess, uh, a bit of a gearhead where I'm really in touch with the brewing processes. I don't get so hung up when it comes to uh, recipes and style definitions. And, you know, I'm a good beer judge, but I'm not the greatest beer judge in the world. So, yeah, I mean, I readily turn to other experts if uh if I'm coming up with a flavor that I can't quite put a finger on. Um, but uh, I guess, you know, once you get that flavor identified, then, uh, you know, I'm, it's pretty easy for me to point to the, you know, places in the process where that could be affecting that. I'd like to get a judge sheet from you, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Have it signed. <laughs> I can think of worse, worse judges. Uh, but yeah, when, next time you're in Buffalo, if that ever happens, uh, we're, we're here. We're about 15 miles south of, uh, of downtown, but there's, uh, there, there's, the breweries are starting to bud here. You know, we were a little late to the party, but uh, there's, there's a handful of, uh, you know, there's a lot 10, more 15, later. 10, 15 really good breweries going now. And yeah. um, uh, cool. there's, there's going to be probably five more per year for the next couple of years, I'm sure. Until the uh, bubble pops. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. They're still going. <laughs> but thank you very much. Thank you for uh, talking to us today. 
Anytime, anytime. If you ever, if you ever come up with any water questions, just you know, drop me an email. Oh, that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, you get no. a bunch from me. Thank you. I'm happy to help. Thank you, sir. All right, take care. Once again, thank you for listening. This podcast episode has been brought to you by Fast Brewing, fastbrewing.com, the makers of Fast Rack, Fast Label, and Fast Ferment. I have a Fast Rack. I love it. You should definitely consider that. It's on the. It's not an expensive product. You should consider it for Father's Day. We're going to see if we can talk to them about some of their other options for Father's Day on one of the upcoming episodes. Otherwise, please check out drinkthisbuffalo.com. Check out WNYBrews.com forward slash episode 22 for the links from this episode. If you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on iTunes, that helps other people find us and helps us climb in the rankings so that when people search beer, we're up at the top there. And you can always connect with us on Facebook.com forward slash WNYBrews, Twitter.com forward slash WNYBrews. You can call us at 716-391-CAST, that's 2278, or just find us on our untapped. See where we are, see what we're drinking, see where we're drinking, and we hope to see you out. So this has been episode 22 of West New York Brews. Thank you to the Rearview Ramblers for the use of their song, You Can't Buy Beer With Condolences. We're going to close out on that once again and check out rearviewramblers.com for their upcoming dates, including their June 4th gig at the grand opening of 12 Gates. I'll see you at that one. This is episode 22. Thank you. Because you can't.